Thanks, Sarah. Um, thanks for the invitation. Really looking forward to the session and the interaction today. Um, now, firstly, uh, I'll put a link uh, into the chat. Um, it's uh, a link to a collaboration space uh, Miro board will be running the presentation on that. All, all I would say is if you do have the uh, facility of two screens, that really helps you for this session, put the, the link on one screen and, and run the, the video on the second screen. On the video, we'll, we will be showing um, the uh, uh, Miro board uh, so that you can see uh, what's happening. So today we're talking um, about the, the concept of uh, harnessing worker insights and really interfacing this with, with two key principles. The, the, the first key principle uh, from safety differently um, is, you know, um, seeing people as a solution to harness. So harnessing worker insights and then integrating that with the, the concepts and the practice of human-centred design um, and um, bridging these two concepts to think about how we design work differently. Um, so if you uh, come onto uh, the mirror board, um, do that and I'll get um, uh, Guinea, whilst you're on this, you might just want to post the link a couple more times um, just to make sure um, uh, everyone gets to join us. But I'd encourage you to join the mirror board because we're going to do some uh, activities uh, uh, in, that, in that space. So, so firstly, I want to take you to this question. What is designed uh, for work? And what I would like you to do is just to put a post-it note. You can put a post-it note anywhere around the board. You'll see on the left-hand side, just click a little sticky note. You can pick any colour that you want and put up here um, your thought about um, where is design used in for work and, and what, is it, what is it used for? What role does it have? And, and that can be what you think it should have or what it actually do, does have uh, now. So I'll just put my little post-it on. It really helps us just after you put your post-it note on just to uh, click outside of it. And that allows us to, to move the, the post-it note around. So look, I'll just um, give you um, uh, a few uh, seconds just to think about that. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in your ideas, do you know? Um, does design only apply you know, to uh, architects and engineers, uh, for example? Uh, what role does it have when we're thinking about the way work is designed and uh, the work methods are, are designed? Where, where does it fit? Does it have a role? Um, who, might, who might be uh, interested in design? Um, so, uh, so I've got someone put up a comment there around, you know, uh, ensuring that things are fit for purpose. Uh, equipment user interface, really good comment uh, up there. User experience, that's someone's uh, ahead of the game there. We're going to talk um, a little bit about uh, user experience. Um, uh, I'll put this uh, question uh, uh, to you. Um, what about the things like um, our safe work method statements, um, our procedures, our rules, um, the way that we um, lay out um, our, our workspaces and workplaces, the, the environment. Um, are they places for design? Do we think about design uh, in that context? Or do they simply emerge from you know, a bureaucratic process uh, that's in there? Um, now, look, uh, like the, the, the understandable, uh, making it understand work, the method understandable for all cohorts, great, great comment uh, in that space. Um, so, um, and Guinea, just to, again, just to post that link in again to make sure people uh, have access uh, uh, to that space. Uh, right, just make sure everyone's there with us. 
Excellent. So I'm going to bring that forward and you can, and you can still add some comments, but um, I'm, I'm going to uh, touch on a couple of principles uh, that uh, are integrated in, into the discussion today, but really just going back to the foundation principles around safety differently is the key to thinking about you know, generating um, resilience and safety capacity are these three things that we need to harness people um, as a solution. Um, it's the frontline people who have expertise is focusing on um, the positive. So focusing on, on getting from people what they know works and how we can actually replicate that or how we can get to what they know uh, works. And also this concept of shared responsibility. And this is a really important thing when we think about designing um, work methods is there's a whole lot of people who have a contribution in this space. It's not just only you know, um, the purvey of you know, how you do a particular task, but uh, when we're designing work, the procurement people have a role in terms of the um, equipment or tools or you know, anything, how fit for purpose for those and how they meet the needs and where they make their decisions on you know, what is cheapest or what is, um, what is best and fit for purpose in that space. So this shared responsibility is about everyone contributing and uh, working together. Uh, to think about delivering successful work. Now, the other uh, concept uh, that is interesting um, uh, in this space is thinking about a couple of things. This is thinking about um, capacity and resilience. Um, it's also, you know, um, thinking about our obligations um, in, uh, for uh, quality, um, design, the plan, do, check, act uh, type concepts that we now need to uh, incorporate and uh, also, how we meet our obligations around consultation uh, in this space. So these principles of thinking about how do we anticipate and then how do we plan, how do we design, um, how do we uh, know um, what is well-designed work is you know, the, the first step of that resilience model. Then thinking about, well, how do we respond when things happen? How do people adapt? What do they do? How do they bridge the gaps in that space? How do we monitor and capture this information and incorporate it in? And then finally, how do we adapt and learn and turn that back into our planning and design processes? So this is a very important theme um, and there's nothing new in this space, but it's a very important thing. Then ultimately, this is all about, well, how do we meet those consultations and engage everyone who has something useful to say in this space? And this uh, concept of thinking about moving into design space really lends itself uh, to uh, enabling uh, this, this to happen. So in this concept, we're moving to an idea that is about work method design. And this is thinking about um, the method as being a design process. So that um, might be written in the procedures, it might be written in, it might be actually some um, traditions and cultures and, and practices of how things are done within an organisation and how you integrate and engage with those. But the fundamental shift here is about thinking about harnessing worker insights to be a major feature of that. It's not handing the whole process over and say, well, we'll just let the frontline design work. That's not what this is about. It is about coming at it from a different position. So challenging the assumptions and practices. Now, you'll see as we talk about this um, concept uh, around human-centered design, it's founded in empathy and curiosity. 
Um, it's integrating you know, the power and methods of problem solving, thinking differently about work, but also integrating the concepts of testing and prototyping. So um, this idea comes from, well, we don't know if this way of doing a particular work process is going to be successful until we test it. So the idea is harness these ideas, put them into practice, try them out before you deploy them um, across the entire uh, organisation. And then the next principle um, uh, in this space, which is uh, critical to this whole process, is the workers done and workers um, uh, imagined piece. And you know, we're try just trying to illustrate. And anyone who's been in the space of trying to step in and understand workers done, and I'm going to show you some real time examples um, of, of some of the methods of doing this and really discovering work in a different way, will know that there is only a limited interface or intersection uh, between workers imagined, how it's written, described in policies, procedures, um, and how it is actually conducted. Now, there'll be a range of reasons uh, for that, but also in this concept, you know, you quickly discover um, that uh, it changes in terms of how people communicate and informed about um, how work is done uh, and how the interface between the prescription uh, of the work and the conduct of the work. So in terms of regulatory compliance pieces and how they function uh, in real time uh, is not a perfect match. So part of the process is recognising that there's a gap here and part of the, the intention of this process is trying to increase the amount of overlap between these conditions to try and improve the relevance of the way that we design our systems and processes um, to put more successful work methods uh, in place. So the start of this um, process um, is thinking about where are we going to look? Um, if we're going to start this, this process, um, I think about what are we interested in? Now, too often as safety professionals, we think more about going and fixing safety. Um, safety should be an expression or a natural outcome of well-designed work. Um, it's, it, it's a part of it rather than the, the driver of it. The principles will help these two conditions work together. So the first thing that's really interested in shifting into this space, this user experience space, is not to talk about safety, not to be focusing on safety questions when you do this, but be intently focused on work. Inquire about the nature of work, understanding from that. The second shift in this space is shifting ourselves, particularly as being the experts, into being enablers. So we become facilitators, we facilitate the craft and the way that we bring people together, how we harness their knowledge. Now in that process, um, these are the two hardest things in, in running these exercises many, many times. Um, when you've got subject matter experts involved and, and uh, we as um, what every level we sit within organisations are subject matter experts uh, of one sort or another, but there's others um, in operations and in uh, engineering and all sorts of areas, is to remove our judgment from the information that we're getting. So when we go and, and focus on, on work and get feedback of work, the first thing is not to critique or judge um, the, the quality or the content that, that we're getting back from the front line, but to encourage people to share and open up about uh, what they know uh, and uh, what they, how they um, actually conduct the work. And, and the other thing is to drop all the solutions 
that you've uh, that we have as subject matter experts there's a time and a place for that but it's not in the beginning when we're really interested in work insights if we start entering into that insight um, or solution space right from when we start uh, to move into this um, uh, in interaction with frontline workers it will quickly shut down the range and depth of what is discovered and found uh, in the process. So in this process, you know, it's very much about going out um, into the field. Now, again, too often when we think about how we design our work methods, too often it's done, you know, um, uh, in a meeting room, you know, uh, on, you know, working at our workstations, things like that. But the space to do the um, the understanding of work is actually being out there and interacting um, and curiously inquiring with the real worker and getting people you know to to show you know how they do it and what um, is working for them and what is challenging for for that space. So this is a critical um, uh, feature of uh, this whole process. Now, I'm going to um, just show you a couple um, of uh, videos of doing this uh, real time. But what I wanted to do is start you with uh, introducing you to a concept um, uh, from the creator of human centered design, uh, Don Norman. And I'm going to show you a short piece about the design of doors to illustrate um, the principle. So uh, I'll get this uh, video to run. But for our purposes, I was spending a year in England and I got so frustrated with my inability to use the light switches and the water taps and the doors even that I wrote this book. If I continually get a door wrong, is it my fault? No. In fact, if you continually get it wrong, is it good? But if other people continue to get it wrong, Good sign that's a really bad door. A Norman door is one where the design tells you to do the opposite of what you're actually supposed to do, or gives the wrong signal and needs a sign to correct it. Why does it need an instruction manual? That is, why do you have to have a sign that says push or pull? Why not make it obvious? It can be obvious if it's designed right. There are a couple of really simple basic principles for design, and one of them I'll call discoverability. Look at something, I should be able to discover what operations I can do. The principle applies to a whole lot more than doors. And it's amazing with many of our computer systems today. You look at it, there's no way of knowing what's possible. Should I uh, tap it once, twice, or even triple tap? So, discoverability, when it's not there, well, you don't know how to use something. Another is feedback. And so many times there's no feedback. You have no idea what happened or why it happened. And these principles form the basis of how designers and engineers work today, commonly known as user or human-centered design. So that's Don Norman. Um, and, the, the, and the point that he's making about there is when we think, and we, particularly when we think about safety and controls and uh, work methods is, how we want people to interact, whether it's a piece of equipment, um, machinery, it should be well designed in that it naturally represents or presents people to perform an action that is successful uh, rather than problematic. And 
Uh, we need to apply this principle right through everything we do, right from the procedures that we, that we work through, through the equipment that we, we do, and how that we um, want, want to encourage uh, and get people to interact. I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you um, uh, now, actually, yeah, this is what I want to show you. So this is a, um, the, the, the classic Norman Dorr uh, principle. And um, you, you can see here, I'll just make sure that um, you're all with me, um, is the, on doors, and we've all had this experience, you know, you'll have doors that say push and you'll, you'll pull them rather than push and, and, and the other way around. So that's in, illustrated in the problematic. And we think that it's fixed by putting a sign on it. So all we need to do is put a procedure write the procedure, tell people how to do, and that will fix the problem. The fact is, we know that doesn't work. We all see the signs and still do the wrong action. What Norman says, well, you, you should actually change um, the door handle itself to represent a natural action that you'll do. If it's got a handle on it, it will that it encourages you to take hold of it and grab it, you'll naturally uh, pull that door. If you remove the handle and put a flat panel on it, you'll naturally push the door. So. Um, rather than having to be instructed or taught uh, in that process, uh, your natural inclination is to uh, do the, the correct action based, based on, on the design. So in these design principles, um, I'll put up a slide here, and this is a technical description of uh, the process to think about in this thing. So, so firstly, is thinking about what is the problem and what's, what is the problem about? So this is thinking about when we go into this process of selecting work, and I'll talk about that in a moment in the method, is finding the right problem uh, to focus on rather than just making it an administrative exercise. Um, you want to work out and think about then, once you understand that, what are alternative solutions? Once you've got those, those there, looking at the processes, how do you take them forward? What are the options? Um, and then you drive the process and see you know, has the, um, the action or the changes you put in place made a contribution to, to improving the process? And if it doesn't improve it, you need to go back to um, the drawing board and, and start again in that process. So again, in this space, um, we uh, say, well, when we think about to, uh, looking at, at our processes and where to interact from, what we've found is, Talking to operations is, is start from that point. Um, and it also may be indicated by some data that you have. You may be, have some insight where things aren't working well in that space. But what you want to look for is a space where work is difficult um, that's, uh, uh, that's occurring. And the reason we, we say this is this is, a um, this is really important uh, to firstly have people engaged in the room. This is something that's important to them. And also it's a space where people feel they can communicate because they're not trying to defend something. Um, I noticed someone uh, has uh, put up there, you know, um, a comment around uh, understanding the user requirements. That's a really critical key of this process. And we'll drill into that um, a little bit more. Uh, and please feel free anywhere as we go through um, these uh, slides uh, to uh, put a note or, um, or observation uh, using the post-it note tool. Um, that we, we welcome that. So this leads us into um, a process of uh, discovery. Is we start this process 
is thinking about starting with the work, not with the obligations or the rules that we're trying to satisfy in that process. We can come back to that. And that's where you know, subject matter experts will interface with that and, and look at the designs that we come up. Secondly, uh, in this space, we're, it is all about discovering variation. You're really interested in where people vary from the existing process or rule or method or procedure, whatever that is. Um, in that variation is going to become the insight because the variation will contain the ideas that will allow you to adapt successfully and they will also uh, identify the potential areas that um, are, are going to lead into an unwanted event as well. So exploring that variation and you're really interested in getting people to explain uh, how they do things when, when the procedure or the rule or the plan doesn't fit the situation that they're working on. And this happens nearly in every interaction of work. So how do they bridge the gaps? And how do people actually get what they need to complete the, the task that they're doing? And where do they get, get that from, uh, in essence? So when we look at that process, and in the method, this is as a curious, naive inquirer, uh, thinking about what are you looking for when you're looking at work and moving into this space is when you're trying to harness worker insights, it's through observations. And through those observations, you can ask uh, better questions of the people doing the work so they can explain the way that they're approaching it. So these are sort of things is looking at the reach of people, looking at the clearance that people have got, uh, look the nature of movement that people are, uh, are using, what postures are required to undertake the work, the amount of exertion um, that's uh, uh, happening in, into, uh, into that space, um, thinking about uh, the, um, the interactions that are required, uh, looking at uh, thinking about and looking at the tools and, and what's the, the work environment like and that can be the, the layout, it can be the conditions, um, heat, cold, you know, all those, those sort, sorts of things. There's a lot to explore in that space. So having that observation space is a really important place to start. So the tools that you need to harness these um, uh, uh, worker insights, it's, it's really important to try and be um, capture as much as you can through the interactions that you have. Now, the first tool that we need to bring into these worker interactions is ethnographics and uh, applying the skills of eth ethnographics to really uh, understand from a curious point of view um, how people work together, how they function, how they communicate, all those sorts of things. Now, in terms of technology, technology has added a lot to our capability in this space. Um, from, from our perspective, uh, video is a really important tool. Um, and I'm going to show you some examples of that uh, very shortly. Um, but the use of things like uh, static cameras, um, the use of 180 degree body cameras so that you can actually see the worker interaction, what their view of, of the world is. Uh, we use uh, 360 degree static cameras so we can see everything that hap happens around uh, the workspace. Um, artificial intelligence is becoming uh, quite useful in this space, um, particularly from uh, capturing all of the, uh, the interactions and being able to sort that information into something that helps you understand that. Um, simulation is becoming a very important tool that once you get some of these, this information is that you can run scenarios 
and, uh, uh, and see how they play out uh, in these different conditions. And you know, the, the obvious tool, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, is uh, having curious, naive experts. Uh, and uh, easy to say, hard to do, um, because uh, we've all got lots of experience and it's very hard to uh, step into being more naive and switching off our, our, our natural um, uh, predispositions uh, in place. So I'm going to show you an, um, a little example now of um, what, what this uh, looks like uh, in practice. So I'm going to put this uh, video on. So what I'm showing you here is doing a work observation um, in real time and using multiple cameras. Sometimes we can use up to four different cameras. But what we're really interested in is looking at the particular task that um, an operator is, is doing. So we're recording that task. Um, and the second camera is actually recording what the train is doing. So this is actually a, a train driver operating a train on a, a set piece of track. Um, we'll also be uh, um, talking or asking questions uh, as this process occurs. Um, but it allows us to go back and unpack this at different times. We, we'll be looking at the human factors, uh, what takes their attention, what are the physical things that they need to do, uh, how does it operate from uh, things like screens or interactions, um, how they communicate, um, when things happen, how do they react and problem solve, showing something here about the signals and uh, the signaling issue. Um, so this is, is quite a powerful tool. So again, um, having these, these types of tools makes it um, a very rich um, a process uh, to, to have a look, look at. I'm going to show you another uh, discovery experience. This again is another real world uh, experience. Now, what they are doing here is uh, you'll see these cages. So this is a customs clearance operation uh, in an international airport. These are boxes of Evian water that are going uh, into the retail area. And uh, so these come in on these, uh, um, uh, they, they come in on a pallet. They're broken down. Um, they're put through an X-ray unit. And uh, after they put them through it, so they're individually uh, unloaded, every uh, box of water. Um, and uh, then that um, is uh, repacked uh, onto the, the trolley unit. Now, I'm going to show you um, something that was uh, interesting. When you go and observe, observe work, I'll show you. This is a photo um, of that area. Now, <clears throat> it's interesting. Um, when these boxes come in, we, we observed that there were other pallets um, of, uh, or boxes of, of water, if you like, that weren't unpacked and didn't go through the X-ray machine. And you'll notice this one on the left-hand side is in clear wrap packaging. The bottles are clear and the packaging is clear. Um, and so they're not required to be unpacked and X-ray. So, so in, in, in that situation, part of the work redesign that was pursued in this area is to go back to the other manufacturer and saying, what are our requirements um, to supply um, the, uh, uh, the water uh, bottles for, for sale in this is that you don't have your pink cardboard box, for example, that you uh, clear wrap it and, you, uh, and all the packaging is clear. 
Um, and so that, that, is, that is now a standard and a requirement for how we design work and say that, which removes all of that manual handling out of the process. Um, and this issue simply came up and was raised by the people who are unloading and loading all the time saying, well, um, why can't this be done differently? How come we go through this process? Why can't it be the way that we receive the materials be changed? And as a result of that feedback, um, it was. So I'm gonna show you a few more um, case studies to try and give you um, a, a view of, of this process. So these are some, some real work um, events. So what you're looking at here is exactly the process of discovery um, going out onto, this is a construction site, obviously, uh, in this space. Um, it's uh, it's uh, using formwork and doing a concrete pour. And the process is having um, a facilitator uh, uh, go out, be a naive inquirer, and simply talk to the people doing the work uh, to find out what helps and hinders. So firstly, we go back to um, those observation tools that were saying, look for what's happening here. What, what are people using? What are their tools? You know, um, how are they doing the work? What doesn't look um, like something else in this space? And as you see in this image, we start to see, it's interesting as we look at this particular job, which was done a few hours before, that um, it's uh, got uh, formwork that doesn't appear to be part of the formwork kit that was applied. Someone's adapted it or bridged a gap in some way. So that discussion um, started to happen. And as we got ran and, and um, had the stories told, what we, uh, uh, what we were shared with was this formwork, which was um, uh, prepared a, a few hours earlier, had actually failed and breached. And what you're looking at there is a reenactment um, of the breach that occurred. And uh, this is the supervisor there explaining what had happened um, and uh, sharing with us um, this process um, and how they recovered. And as you can probably physically see that they, they physically intervened to try and hold the concrete in whilst they, um, they uh, patched a repair and recovered from that. Uh, and in this particular event, this was not reported. Um, as part. It was shared by the supervisor because they were frustrated that the equipment, that the formwork that they had been supplied didn't have the necessary parts they needed to do, but they were required to continue with the work without the right equipment. This, this particular formwork didn't have the Z bars in it, which basically tied the sides together. So this is the naive inquiry uh, is really important and people are really willing to try and share with their insights about well, this happened and this is why it happened. And you know, it's not in their interest to tell you that this went wrong, but they want to fix it and they want to do something, but they don't feel that they've got anyone listening to them um, to actually resolve it uh, in, in, the in the normal fashion. So I'll, I'll take you to um, uh, another uh, example uh, here. And so, so this is a, a conveyor system. It's a, a, again on, uh, on an airport. And again, we're going through, we're um, having this particular um, process uh, explained to us about the, the nature of work, what's working well, what's not, and, uh, and uh, what needs to be done differently. There's actually what you can't see in here um, um, beside um, the, uh, the, the unit that's going to go onto the aircraft is a little control panel. You can just see the back of it here. It's actually inside the door, which actually controls 
the movement along the conveyor. So um, what was interesting to us is when we saw this, um, the next thing that we saw was, well, there's a walkway between uh, these two places. This is the actual uh, vehicle that uh, the unit goes onto to take it out to the aircraft. Um, and what they, uh, what they need to be able to do is manage the movement um, of uh, this vehicle up onto uh, the conveyor itself and the work that's been done. And you see there's something in the side here, which I'll show you uh, in a moment. And what we um, observed here was this piece of wood that was there. And so again, it, you sort of become interested. This doesn't look like it's part of it. Share what you, you um, do uh, in this space. And uh, this uh, piece of wood, when we had a look at it, was placed there because there was uh, an interlock device. There's an infrared uh, beam that's in that, in that space. And uh, if the, um, the truck is not um, backed up onto uh, the, the conveyor, they can't advance uh, the, uh, the, the units down towards the end of the conveyor until the truck gets in place. And this creates some all sorts of problems with managing the movement of um, the baggage material um, through, through the conveyor. So what they've done is they've engineered a solution. They put this over there. So the conveyor thinks that the, um, the airside vehicle uh, is there and allows them from inside to manoeuvre all of it up there. But uh, in, in, in fact, the operators can't see um, where those uh, units are on the conveyor and can easily now shift them and actually um, advance them past the end of the conveyor. <clears throat> so, so, this is, so there's obviously a problem here. The, the system is designed for safety, but the safety system has been defeated. And what happened out of this process was uh, went back and actually redesigned the interlocks to enable them to advance the <coughs> units <coughs> sorry, up to the end and uh, without uh, the use of the piece of wood uh, and also could do that safely without the operator having full view. Um, but uh, so again, the insight came from the frontline workers and um, a solution uh, was created uh, from, from that space. Right. Also going to take you into the, the processes um, by tapping into this concept of um, uh, insights from those that uh, use something or do the work, it really starts to allow some uh, innovation uh, to occur. So I'm just going to give you, these are some well-known examples when you talk to, to people and think about how do we design something different where uh, it performs its task far more effectively. And this is a, a well-known example of the design for, for Heinz, where they redesigned the source bottle um, from people being frustrated and then having to shake the bottle, tip it out, and it never works as function. Well, turn it upside down. So the source is already there. Make it a squeeze pack. Uh, and uh, it's completely obvious. You don't need to know what to do. Um, it will actually function and give a better result in that space. You might have noticed remote controls are changing. Uh, there's examples with the Apple remote control on Apple TV and those sorts of things. But again, it was looking at the device and how people use it and what, what they needed and didn't need uh, and worked out, well, you can have all that functionality, but if 
you actually just display the things that are most commonly needed and how they're needed, you'll end up with something which is naturally intuitive. You will more readily uh, achieve the outcome and the, and the process that uh, you're seeking just because it's designed well in that space. I'm going to show you um, a very famous uh, exact example of um, PillPack. Um, and this is a, a company um, uh, that made uh, a bit of a, um, a change in the, the way medications are provided. And it's now uh, been acquired by Amazon, uh, as I understand it. So I will uh, put this up. PillPack is a new kind of pharmacy. We package your medications and deliver it directly to your door. All you have to do is tear and take your next dose. Managing your medication has never been easier. Here's how it works. Each month, we'll sort your meds, including any vitamins and OTCs, into easy-to-open packets. Need other items like inhalers, creams, or testing supplies? We can send those too. We'll work directly with your doctors and insurance to resolve any issues. We'll adjust your medication if your prescriptions change, and we'll automatically handle all of your refills so you never have to worry. If you have questions or need to make an update, our pharmacists are available 24-7. Getting started is easy. You'll need your insurance information and a list of current medications. From there, we'll handle the rest. We'll verify your account and transfer your prescriptions. So this is an example um, of medication safety. It's interesting because medication safety is the single biggest killer um, of uh, people in the healthcare system, system where people get the wrong medications uh, in the wrong dose at the wrong time, all those sorts of things. So they've taken the process over and designed something that um, is, uh, meets uh, the medication design of what pills people are meant to take. And then they just do it in a simple sequence where it's all sequenced, it's, it's organised, um, and it's self-evident when you get the pill pack of uh, what you need to do and how you need to do it to maintain your medication. And you can see there's an example of um, uh, what a pill pack look, looks like uh, on the right-hand side. It's personalised, uh, sequenced. Um, it, this is a very well-designed procedure as such. It's uh, uh, both from a system point of view uh, and um, a human uh, factor point of view. So human-centred design um, is being used in all sorts of contexts. We're, we've uh, been using it in lots of frames, but this is another um, high-profile example where Stanford Hospital um, are using the concepts of human-centred design, going to the frontline workers and trying to think about how the emergency department uh, operates. How do we uh, process patients coming in on the ambulances? How do we triage them? And uh, the, uh, the technique is a very simple lean thinking technique. Um, they process flow constantly using post-it notes um, and they come up with ideas, they test some ideas, they go back and then redesign the process. But the key to this is, is it uses the people who do the work. Um, and it also doesn't accept that you ever get to the point that you um, need to be at. So it's constantly iterating. And Don Norman will um, really emphasise this point that uh, we need to think about iteration and, and too much in what we do about designing our procedures and work methods is we don't consider iteration. We, um, we lock things in and I've seen examples in large mining companies where it's taken, they want to change one procedure and it's taken three years of consultation and work, you know, to try and affect the, the change. It should be able to. 
Again, this is a, another example um, about the physical space, but you know, this is a simple example about redesigning the boarding pass for, for an aircraft. And we've all had boarding passes and they're visually confusing. Um, it's always hard to get the information that you need. And again, what the airline did is it went back you know, and thought about, well, what does the user need? How can we visually represent? How can it be simple in that space? Uh, and so on. And so the resulting design you know, is very simple. It tells you, you know, where the airport is, um, you know, geographically, which, uh, which airport it is in that location, um, the gate where you're going to. Um, it uh, then also makes sure you understand the flight. Um, it tells you when you're boarding, uh, where it is, where you're sitting on the plane, and when you're departing and on what day, and it's there in a snapshot. Uh, and I've, I've done this so many times where I'm always trying to work out where I'm boarding what is. But again, it's going back to the end users and taking the user experience and saying, um, what can you understand? And even in this process, you've removed the ability to be able to, you know, um, to, to really need to read that process, even if you uh, don't speak the, the language of English, you know, in this case, you're going to be able to understand the information that's being presented in what is in fact a procedure as such. So this whole concept um, is built around the, the notion of design thinking. And as I said, Don Norman, it's an iterative process. Um, it's a solution-based approach um, to, solve, to solving problems. And it's really developed around a deep in, um, interest in understanding people and what they need. So uh, this is this point of empathy that is central to the, the concept of moving forward. And, so what we're shifting this space is, you know, is really from this, this point of view of uh, being the arbiter of uh, what people should know and how they need to do it is to being one that has empathy to what they're trying to do and how we can help them do it better in their space and harnessing that expertise. So empathy is critical. Having a, a, a technique of questioning, which actually um, codes up and out, not down and in, and, out, and enables people to share what they know. Thinking about the problem in a very human-centric way, so understanding the concepts of human factors and really addressing work from a human factors point of view. But finally, just don't arrive at a point and saying, all right, this is how it's going to be done. We do this in incident investigations all the time. We run an investigation, we write a set of actions, and then we just walk away from it. We don't go out into an experimentation mode. Well, let's come up with some ideas. Let's try them out, test them, prototype them. And if all that works, that's what we will go, go forward with. So it's a real shift in, in our approach uh, in this space. So these are the concepts. This comes out of Stanford uh, University um, and it's a very um, broad uh, method and principle. But what this is saying is when you're looking at work and when you're looking at how people do work, um, and when they're using um, you know, the, the tools that we provide them, whether they be physical things or whether they be written or whatever, the, the, the first, these are the questions that people um, uh, are needing um, to know and to satisfy. Is what we provided with them useful? Is it usable? How findable is it? And we don't have to look far into our safety management systems to know things um, are very difficult to find. And if you find something, is it credible? Is it something that the end users want? This solves a problem for them. Um, is it accessible? And finally, you know, do they consider it to be a valuable contribution to the work that they're doing? 
So these are the tests that we need to apply when we're designing work and designing the work method. How well do we satisfy these elements? And that shouldn't be determined by ourselves. It has to be determined from the people that use the, the, the output um, of, of this product. So just, uh, just to, now this is um, the actual expression of, of the method. This is how the process works. We've talked about going into that when work is difficult space. When we find what we need to do, this is the, mo the mode that we go through again, Stanford University method. Um, and this is a universal uh, model of human-centered design. The first part plate to start is, is pick which, you know, what's the problem you're trying to solve, the normal would say. Um, then move, go into a listing mode. And you need to let that expand um, out to diverge before you then start to think about, well, where are we going to zero in and, and look on? But diverge and then converge in that space. Then once you move in that space, you, you need to treat what you look at with, with empathy uh, and without judgment. Um, and again, you start to look at um, uh, the ideas that sit within this process and then start to converge and uh, define um, uh, the process that you get, you're trying to resolve. You then move into the ideate mode. So this is freelance idea generations. Um, and this is where you allow the uh, particular people, but subject matter experts can contribute to the space and you start to generate ideas. And from that, you work out what you're going to take forward to prototype and test. And then once you've got it into um, a stable state and you know it works, you can then look at the process of deploying it uh, at scale across the organisation. So um, in this process, we're really interested in thinking about how do we really harness it, this idea of people being a solution harness. Um, this is just a couple of final examples uh, in this space. Um, this was uh, one that um, uh, was uh, done by Sinclair Knight Modes in working for Shell and constructing um, retail service stations. Uh, and again, there's issues here with working at heights. Um, and uh, what um, SKM did was they went back to uh, um, the local contractors, and these were contractors uh, in, in Indonesia, and said, well, how would you do this? And the first thing they said, well, we wouldn't build canopies, you know, at, uh, you know, over six metres uh, of elevation. Um, it's a difficult time and dangerous and, and had resulted in fatalities occurring in that space. What they said is, why don't we build it on the ground, right? And then build it on pneumatic ramps and elevate it into position. And that's exactly what was done in that space. Um, and the, the interesting part of the, so the interesting part was firstly, the engineers were asked, well, why don't we build it on the ground and, uh, and elevate it in the space? And the response was, no one's ever asked us that question. We're just giving you the work method based on how we've traditionally done it. So um, they said, well, if you ask us that question, we can do it differently. And so they designed this. Uh, the end result was, that they reduced um, the uh, construction time for a canopy from 45 days down to approximately seven days. Um, and they reduced um, the work at height uh, value from 3,250 hours per canopy to less than 50 hours per canopy. So significant improvement in safety, productivity, um, a much better outcome. The idea came from a worker insight uh, in that space. 
And then the last idea, you know, that's really important is particularly in the safety space is really trying to understand and focus on the things that matter. Um, and in our case, it's really thinking about um, critical risk and critical controls. And the shift is, is to take this worker insight method um, and apply it to these difficult um, areas of, of work and um, combine the knowledge of the subject matter experts with the people who actually do the work and use the controls. So in this domain, you know, uh, what has become clear, clear to us is there's a number of things that need to be examined is firstly, if you're looking at a control strategy, applying controls, say to um, working at height, um, given that we've just used that example, you need to understand, well, how, where do your controls fit on the hierarchy? Um, uh, how, um, how do the controls sit in terms of uh, the organisational human factors? Do you know, uh, are we depending on, um, well, is it depending on well-designed procedures? Does it depend on maintenance? Does it depend on training? All those sorts of things. Um, we need to understand the human factor. That user experience piece is testing it to see how well it fits um, with the user's needs who are applying the control strategy. We need to understand how well it's aligned for the needs of the worker. Does it help or hinder the worker in doing the job? And does it help or hinder the actual work objective that uh, the organisation or the project or whatever it is, the task that's being uh, done to be achieved in a productive and safe manner? And then finally, um, in testing for how adaptable, you know, is it able to deal with change, variation uh, and different needs and does it adapt successfully? So, um, so that sort of brings us brings me to you know the conclusion of uh, what I uh, wanted to take you uh, through through today. It really is taking you on this journey um, th through through the process, um, and what we're suggesting uh, in this space is coming back to this idea of safety. We need to really think about work is done. We need to harness. Um, workers as experts and really uncritically engage in their insights in that process. And and central tool is um, of safety capacity within organisations needs to be design thinking. It should form every part of every interaction we have and how we design our systems, how we design our procedures, um, how we design our apps and software uh, within that. Um, how equipment and tools and how facilities, uh, how a warehouse is designed, how stock is moved in their space. That is all design thinking. Um, and I think it's a key feature that um, we've, we've sort of got distracted, I think, with safety uh, in design into being a bureaucratic process. And what we need to go back to is the essence of human-centred design and USC experience and bring it to life uh, in uh, creating safer and better workplaces. So at that point, I, I'm, I'm going to pause and uh, hand back to Sarah, who might uh, have firstly welcome, is going to welcome some questions or seen some questions that uh, I, sh I should be uh, addressing. And I'll just uh, move out of screen share. All right. Thank you, Calvin. That was very interesting, especially with all the examples. Um, we don't have any Q&As at the moment. Every time I say that, there's always some coming afterwards. Um, with sharing the um, th this link that you've shared, yep. is this just going to stay there? Yes. Ah, oh, okay. Yep. All right. Uh, people can go and replay 
and, and they can go anywhere they like on the presentation then uh, and do it. Uh, and look, we feel, and the, they will be able to post um, any comments, use the post-it notes or whatever, we would welcome that. So if they have any thoughts or observations and want to share it with the community that we've got in this discussion, um, that would be really valuable. So um, again, we're sharing this as a resource. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so I'll put that in the email later today because a few people couldn't make it and they they wanted a recording later, so the recording will go out later. Um, I will drop a link to the next webinar, which is in two weeks, and um, uh, we've got some other exciting news coming out in a couple of weeks. So um, still no questions, but I'll just drop that link to the next webinar in the chat. Um, There's a couple, I think one question there, I think was it uh, Nicole Christians um, about, she sort of put a broad question there about how do people keep up with changes in processes being adapted and change. I, uh, it's a really interesting question because, you know, um, one of the things we've tried to do in safety is um, lock things down and keep them consistent uh, and unchanging uh, in essence, you know, so um, that's been the nature of our management systems and, and the, the quality control that we put over documents in these processes. To some degree, this idea is challenging that space. Um, and what it's saying is we probably need to think differently in that. And it's about having a central source of truth uh, in your systems, having things that are simple and easy to, to access, um, uh, but they dynamically respond. They, they grow and change. Um, and people are informed of, you know, how they grow and change, you know, being the end users in that space. But they need to know it needs to be simple to find and it needs to be part of that iterative process that uh, they're engaged with it. Okay, well, um, yeah, that's, that looks good. There's no, there is a question. <laughs> um, Alan asks, why is there no specific industry standards for best practice safety practice? Um, around this this method is that the implication um he would need to clarify that um maybe he's referring to safety design oh look yeah so you've got different regulations obviously under the model act um there's a whole series on um uh, safety and design um which i i think Organisations have been very good at, you know, uh, ticking off the bureaucratic boxes, but not actually implementing the intent. There's two things I think we've done poorly out of the legislation. One is consultation. Um, we've tended to do that by distributing stuff, particularly by email and other means, and on the basis that we get no response, we've consulted. What we're saying in this space is you need to actually go and do the walk and physically talk to people and engage them and truly consult. And in the safety design space is get people involved in, you know, how things are set up before they start, you know, talk to them about if a new process is coming in or a new machine or they're going to purchase something is actually engaging and involving them. So, so there are, there are requirements. I think we've, 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 we haven't treated them, you know, in the way that they're intended uh, when the legislation was written. Um, the UK certainly um, has some approaches. There's uh, lots of um, uh, guidelines uh, in this space uh, happy if anyone approaches, uh, uh, you know, sends a request through, we can share some of that material. And there's even um, actually uh, the Victorian government has an excellent uh, book on using um, this process uh, in uh, workplaces. Um, 
it's a it's a freely available PDF and uh, very happy to, to share that as well. It's a it's very much how to do this step by step. Okay, I might try and get that link in the email as well. Um, all right, so uh, that's it for questions. Thank you so much, Calvin. I hope we see you again further down this year and um, hope it's a better year. It's not hard to be, Sarah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for Thanks, coming. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.